Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Great to have you uh, here with us uh, on this really significant sacred uh, morning in the the Christian church and the Christian calendar when we celebrate uh, the death, the life, the resurrection of Jesus. And Easter is one of those things that is unexpected, isn't it? You know, it's unexpected, firstly, that God would die. Here on Good Friday, we gathered together and we looked at the conundrum of the fact that there is a God who came down from heaven to earth and chose to walk in suffering. And this conundrum that how could the eternal, how could the eternal God die? It's unexpected. And then on Easter Sunday, today, we, we celebrate that not only did God die, Jesus died, but he rose again. That is unexpected. And these unexpected events actually bring a challenge to us. They challenge us in a couple of ways. You know, they challenge us when we consider pain, death and suffering. You know, we sat here on Friday and we were confronted with the reality of death. And in our context, in our culture, we don't really like talking about death and pain, do we? In fact, we spend our whole time trying to avoid pain and suffering in the pursuit of fulfillment and happiness. And so when we stop and pause and think about death, that that confronts us. But it also confronts us when we consider the resurrection. Now, we, we like the idea, and I think in our context, our culture, the idea of resurrection is this kind of idea, renewal, whatever it looks like. We like that idea. It's the theme of many movies. The idea of resurrection is great, as long as it's metaphorical or it's a, an analogy. But the reality is the resurrection, the material resurrection of Jesus Christ actually confronts us with a question. What do we do with the risen Christ? And we're going to look at some of these questions briefly this morning. And we're going to look at a passage, a story that is, does confront, confront some of these questions for people who are with Jesus. We're going to look at a story just before Jesus gets to the cross. He's actually in the shadow of the cross. It's, it's in the week or the, a couple of weeks leading up to his own death. And he, and he says to his disciples in the context of uh, uh, danger, imminent danger, they know that the, the religious leaders are looking for a way, looking for a way to, to, to execute, to get rid of Jesus. The disciples know this. And Jesus says, guys, let's go to Jerusalem. And they have a bit of a discussion, and Thomas, I love Thomas. Anyone else love Thomas? Doubting, cynical, honest Thomas says, are you kidding? Well, we, we, we're going to Jerusalem. You know what's happening? And then, and then there's this great line that we read in, in John where he goes, fine then, let's all go to our death. It's kind of like, and, uh, and so off they go, and they make their way. And then news comes that Jesus' good friend Lazarus is, he's very sick. But Jesus pauses. He doesn't move immediately. And this is confusing. It's confronting. But he pauses. And then he arrives in Bethany, just a couple of kilometers outside of Jerusalem, moving towards Jerusalem where Lazarus is. But when we get to this part of the story, Lazarus has died. 
Let's jump into the story. We find it in John chapter 11, verses 17. If you've got your Bible on your phone, you feel free to read along. The words will be on the screen as well. Let's read this together, this great story. And kids, I want you to be listening, okay, because I've got some questions. You ready? Listen to this great story. Got some questions afterwards, which may or may not involve some chocolate. (laughs) On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God, you, uh, even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, yeah, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, be listening, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister, but Lord, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him Go. I am the resurrection and the life. This verse sits central to this whole story. And there are three things that Jesus says and invites us into that I want us to, to uh, grab hold of and to consider this morning. Firstly, Jesus makes an exclusive claim. He says, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Now, if you're here last week, you would have known that that statement, I am, was an explicit claim to be God. And Martha acknowledges that you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah. Jesus is saying, I am God. In me is resurrection from death. In me is life. Jesus makes an exclusive claim. Secondly, then Jesus makes a shocking promise. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though they are, so he said, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He makes an amazing promise. If you believe in me, that you'll be raised from the dead, you will know life and you will live forever. It's a shocking promise. He makes an exclusive claim, a shocking promise. And then thirdly, he asks a direct question. He says to Martha and he says to you and to me, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection of life. He says, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? And it's all in the context of a story of resurrection. Resurrection from the death. Resurrection from death. Now, death is one of those things, as we see in this passage, and I think if we look around in our world today, naturally, death is something deeply feared. We see in, the, in this story that, that Lazarus has died and there is significant grief. Understandably, this is natural. We see Mary and Martha weeping and mourning. We see Jesus weeping and mourning for the, for the loss of their brother and their friend. And then we see the crowd come along. And in that time, they would have had professional mourners. They, they still to this day, culturally, there's this, this, this uh, whole thing of mourning where people come and they honour the dead person and they, they uh, gather around the family in a mourning ceremony. So you've got a whole bunch of grief going on. Now, that's, that's natural and that's normal when, when there is loss. When there is loss. And, and I know and I speak to, to probably all of us in some way have experienced this grief. But there is also this sense, I think we see in here, this sense of despair. Where were you, God? Where is the hope? I think as we look in our world today, when we encounter suffering, pain and death, that there is an element of despair. And so we see in the secular narrative and we see in the secular culture that death should be avoided at all costs because this is all there is. We live in a world that is completely and entirely focused on the material now. We do not speak of death and we do not speak of that which is eternal. We have no frame of reference in our world today of that which is transcendent. We do not have these conversations. We live as functional atheists. Our humanist secular world sits in this space. We celebrate the imminent, the material now. We avoid the transcendent. But it's not that we don't want the transcendent. We try and impute it into the now. We say that you have to experience everything now. You need to have all of these experiences. You need to, as I said before, pursue happiness. You need to suck everything out of life because this is all there is. Find your transcendent in the now. I was listening to some ads just the last couple of days, one about AFL and one about rugby league. 
And there was an AFL ad and it literally, it was on the radio and it said this, if I can find it. The ad said, man, I've skipped way ahead here. Enter into the magic of a live game. Enter into the magic of a live game as if there's some kind of something kind of magic transcendence when you go and watch a football match. And in a few weeks' time, we're going, to, we're going to have all the rugby league's teams playing here at Suncorp Stadium. And what do they call it? They call it Magic Round. Magic Round, as if there's some kind of magic to it, something transcendent about rugby league. Now, some of you may believe that. Uh, I think Jacob, my son, does. Uh, he loves rugby league at the moment. But we seek these transcendent moments and we are sold these transcendent moments in the material, secular world. All we have is this life. So we do everything we can to avoid pain and we do everything that we can to avoid death. And so we try and live forever. You know, people have actually frozen themselves. If you've heard of cryogenics, you know, they're freezing themselves because in, the one, in one day they may be resurrected. And people, you know, fill themselves with lots of different things to kind of make themselves look young and to stay young because they want to really stay young forever. You know, the whole Botox movement. We cannot stop the aging process. I got thinking, imagine, I want to know what I look like when I get old because I'm still very young. And so here is a picture of what I will look like when I'm in 30 years' time. My hair looks the same, uh, but everything else. So I thought, this is a little bit of fun. So I thought, what about the lovely Hannah, our worship, uh, sorry, our, our, our kids and youth pastor? There we go. She looks, she, she ages well, I think, you know. Thank you, Hannah, you look good. And then I thought, okay, what, is, what about my eldest, Olivia? Uh, what would she look like? <laughs> Olivia, you don't fare well, sweetheart. <laughs> 30 years' time, that's not a good look. And then finally, I ran this process through my wife, Megan, and this is what Megan looks like. Amazing. <laughs> Sweetheart, that's for uh, the last year of all the mistruths that I've told from this stage. <laughs> Half-truths. The reality is, is that we all age and we will all die. In fact, we're already dead. We're already dead. We are dead in our sins. As Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, As for you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We are already dead. See, sin might be a challenging word for us and a misunderstood word. We can speak to sin as, as things like pride and selfishness and, and all the things that we do to, to kind of elevate ourselves above others and above God. And sometimes we think, and if we've grown up in religion and around church, we, we kind of think that sin makes us bad. Maybe you've heard me say this before. Sin doesn't make you bad. As Paul says, sin makes you dead. Sin makes you dead. And we see sin at work in our life, observable in our personal life in the world around us. Now we see the effects of our sin, of sin in our world, in our own lives. This sense with ourself, this sense of dislocation, longing and loss, 
shame, anxiety, not being at ease with ourselves. We see decay and death in our person. We see it in our relationships where offence is held, where bitterness is held where we hold things at a distance, where there is brokenness in relationship. And we certainly we see the effects of sin and death in our world today with war and abuse and corruption. We even see our creation grown under the effects of sin and we see death all around us. And let me tell you this, the secular solution of pursuing happiness and fulfillment does not work. No amount of positive thinking, stoic suffering, getting back to your inner child, transcendental experiences, or even religion will save you from the curse of sin. We are already dead. Maybe this is new to you and confronting to you, but religion, being good, striving, ticking the boxes, will not and cannot save you. See, we, we don't like the idea of death. Death is to be avoided at all costs. There is a hatred of death. And whilst you may hate death, there is one who hates death even more than you, and his name is Jesus. And we see in this story Jesus' reaction and response as he is confronted with death. We see the shortest verse in all the Bible. We read it today. Did you catch it? Jesus wept. The sight of death and the groaning and the pain of those who are mourning, Jesus weeps. But he goes more than weeping. And we don't really see this in the English. But there are two moments where in his distress and disdain, he actually groans, he grunts out of disdain. We see that there's an indignation, firstly in his response to Mary's tears and pain, and then secondly in response to the crowd's lack of faith. There is an indignation in Jesus that reacts and responds to what he sees, to the death that he sees. As the uh, 20th century theologian B.B. Warfield says, he says, it is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death, the devil, and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage, and he advances to the tomb. In Calvin's words, as a champion who prepares for conflict. Jesus has disdain, hatred for what he sees. Why? Because this is not the way that creation was created for. This was never what Jesus intended. This is not what God wanted. Death was never part of the plan, but sin had entered the world, destroying and spoiling what God had intended for good. And there is a disdain, there is a hatred that rises up in Jesus' heart. But this is not the end of the story. There is hope. I am the resurrection and the life. As Jesus looks with distress and disdain at death, he does something that is incredibly unexpected. See, no one expects to see people rise from the dead. We don't expect to see people just die and then rise again. That is unexpected. But Jesus does something unexpected. He claims that he will raise Lazarus to life. And there are two responses that are really interesting here. 
There is the response of Martha and there is the response of the crowd or some of the people. Firstly, there is metaphorical Martha. Kids, can you say metaphorical Martha? Yeah, I know that's a hard one. We'll try it one more time. Metaphorical Martha. Very good. You've learned something today. You can go home to mum and dad and say, I learned the word metaphorical. I don't know what it means, but it sounds interesting. See, Jesus says, I'll raise him up, and Martha goes, yeah, 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 I know, at the last day, and she's still trying to figure out the spiritual sense of resurrection. And so she goes all metaphorical. She's thinking, yeah, that there, there will be a resurrection. I like the idea of it. Yes, there will be. But in her framework and in mind, there will never be a physical resurrection, right to the point when Jesus asks for the tombstone to be rolled away. She's going, Jesus, you don't want to do that. Don't, don't, no, don't. it's going to stink, Jesus. She's, she's thinking resurrection in the metaphorical way. And then we read that there's another response, the sceptical sum. Kids say the sceptical sum. The sceptical sum. They're like tongue twisters. I love it. Good job. And their reaction is one of, if he was really God, why could he allow this to happen? He says, they say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In other words, why would Jesus have allowed this period of time? Why would he have allowed suffering in the world today? But then Jesus does something unexpected. No one expects what Jesus is to do. See, Jesus goes up and he asks the tomb to be rolled away. And everyone's going, why are you doing this again? Still, Martha's still going, she, she's not expecting Lazarus to come out. But Jesus stands at the tomb and he says, Lazarus. Kids, what do you say? Lazarus. Come out. I want you to say this really loud. Say, Lazarus, come out after me. Say, one, two, three. Lazarus, come out. And guess what happens? The most unexpected thing happens. Lazarus comes out of the... What's that? You call me? Harry, what are you doing here? Oh, I I came uh, Thursday morning for Easter rehearsals and uh, it was... uh, long story. Mate, and what are you doing with the toilet paper? Look, look, I, got, I was back there and uh, I was trying to get over to the... Mate, I, listen, honestly, we're going to have to have a chat a little bit later about this. This is really embarrassing because I'm right in the middle of an Easter. Mate, you stink. It's been a couple of days back. Yeah, mate, you need to get, you need to have a shower. And I'm starving. I yeah. So okay. All right, mate. Well, listen. I tell you what. We've got a whole stack of hot cross buns back there, and uh, yeah. So, one, okay. can you just pick up your toilet rolls? This is um. And uh, thank you. And uh, go back. Go go. The, the guys will sort you out with a hot cross bun. Thank you, mate. And uh, but don't eat too many, okay? No promises. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyone expect that? Anyone see that coming? That was completely random and unexpected. But it brought you great joy, didn't it? I could see that there was joy in your hearts. Can you imagine? There you go. Craig's excited. See, here's the thing. No one expected a four-day dead Lazarus to walk out of that tomb. 
Can you imagine the joy, the astoundment, as Lazarus emerged from the tomb? Jesus did something unexpected. He saw the dead rise again. And the whole story of Easter is Jesus is giving a picture of what is to come in just a few weeks' time. Jesus does something unexpected when he dies, but not only when he dies, but when he rises again. It was not expected. You know, some people claim, and I've listened to the arguments, oh no, no, the disciples were expecting the Messiah to come. They were expecting the Messiah to rise again. This is just all a hoax. But the reality was, as we read, that they were not expecting the risen Jesus. In fact, they were holed up, in afraid, in a room, worried about what was going to happen to them because they'd seen what had happened to other insurgents, other people who'd come up and declared that they were the Messiah. They were worried about what would happen to them now that they'd seen their, their Saviour their Messiah crucified. And you would have thought on the third day, you know, after Jesus had told them time and time, on the third day, on the third day, on the third day, on the third day, you would have thought when they woke up on the third day, at least one of them would have said, hey, you're, it's the third day. Maybe we should, uh... no. As this is a beauty, this is another argument, I think, for the, for the evidence of the resurrection and, and for, the, for the claims that are made in Scripture is it's actually the women. The women who are the first ones to see Jesus. And in that context, in that culture, why would, women, women's testimony, witness, was not even received in a court of law. Yet this is what happened, and they, they, this is the witness that the women came taking spices to Jesus. We heard it before. Hannah read it. He is not here. He is risen. Jesus did something profoundly unexpected. And the same questions I think that we see for Lazarus, we see today. We have metaphorical Marthas and we have the, the skeptics, particularly around suffering. You know, when we talk about resurrection today, when we consider the resurrection of Jesus, there are some who all want to go all metaphorical. Oh, yeah, I believe in that there was something, you know, there's a metaphorical resurrection that went on. You know, that Jesus, you know, metaphorically rose again. And, you know, it's this whole great idea of renewal and redemption and, and all that kind of stuff. But I don't really believe he materially rose from the dead. You'll hear that a lot in our current context. But Jesus does not leave that option open to us. Jesus materially rose. He came and he walked amongst the disciples. Over 500 witnesses saw him. He ate fish in front of them. He was hugged. They touched his hands and his side. This was not a hallucination. This was not a ghost. This was not a dream. This was the material risen Jesus up from the dead. This was not metaphorical. This was not an, 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 an analogy. It's hard, an analogy. Tongue twisters today. This was real. You know, I reckon there's a whole bunch of people who are skeptical around a whole bunch of things, but particularly as I talk to people, suffering is the thing. Just like the some skeptics for Lazarus. Some of us think, whether you're of faith or not here today, you, you think, 
how, how could a loving God allow suffering? My, my whole blocker to, to actually believing in God is the evidence that I look around and I see of suffering. And I, I actually think that this is absolutely understandable. I actually think it's embedded in the Bible. Many would say that the book of Job was the first book written historically. I think for, for millennia, we have been grappling with the question of suffering. And I know that, that many of you have experienced great suffering or have watched other people suffer. And you've asked the question, where is God? I, I want to say that that is not an easy answer. What I would say is that we live in a context and a culture which um, magnifies the question, why? And I've already said it, because we are so obsessed with happiness. Now, other cultures, and particularly other religious cultures, this is not as much an issue because suffering is a part and way of life. But for us, where suffering is to be avoided at all costs, where happiness is our utopia, then when we experience pain, it is magnified. And we ask these questions. I'd also make the comment and reflect back on the humanist, atheistic reflection of saying, where is the justice? How could there be suffering? I'd ask the question, why is that even a question for you? Where does your moral justice come from? Why do you even have a question around what is right and wrong, what is suffering and what is not in an evolutionary framework? Surely we don't ask those kind of questions. But nonetheless, it is difficult to answer. But here is my answer, and my answer is at the cross. My answer is with Jesus, and we see it in the story. Firstly, Jesus is not abstract from us, but he identifies with us in pain. We've read the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus is not absent in our pain. He goes all the way to the cross. Jesus suffers with us. He suffers at our hands. Firstly, God is not absent in our pain. And, and secondly, and this is a little harder to, to, to grapple with, but there is actually purpose in suffering. Jesus actually waits before he comes to meet with Lazarus. And he says it, why? In order that God may be glorified. See, even in our suffering and our pain, God seeks to be glorified. And God works out his purposes for good for all those who trust him and live according to his plans and purposes. And God is working out his way. And we may not understand it. We may not see it. We don't have the big picture. We cannot understand all things. But we can trust a God who does and knows. And we do have an eternal hope that one day all things will be made right. A simple analogy would be a little bit like me as a parent loving our four kids who are doing very well and uh, down the front. And our kids, love, they just want dessert every night of the week. And we say, no, dessert, you know, sugary, chocolate, weekends, but not during the weekday. And the reason is, is because I've had a root canal. And if you've had a root canal, you know that it's traumatic it's painful, and I don't want my kids to have the same teeth that I have. They can't see it. They don't know the big picture, and there's short-term pain. There is something about us trusting God and surrendering our lives to Him and, and saying, God, we trust you even though we can't understand and see. We trust God. And here's the good news. 
And here is what we can hold on to. Here is the hope that ultimately death is defeated by Christ. That we do have a hope. No matter what we walk through, no matter the suffering and pain that we experience in this life, we have a greater hope because death has been defeated. Resurrection today means that death is dead. The resurrection Easter Sunday, in which our heart should leap at this, is that pain and suffering and death is ultimately destroyed at the cross. Jesus is victorious over death, over evil, over the devil, over pain, over the curse, over everything. Jesus has won, and we can be invited into this victory. We're invited to live a life, eternal life. As Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I've achieved this for you and you can enter it in. But here's the catch, people. To enter into victory, to enter into life, it also requires a death. We also must die. We need to say to ourselves, to our pride, to our religion, to all our striving and effort, we can't do it. See, the choice is ours. Either God dies or we die. That's the choice. We say, I will be my own God. God, get away. I will be Lord. Or we bow the knee and we die to ourselves and we say, Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, These words, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will be certainly also united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died, catch this, has been set free from sin. We die to ourselves. We enter into the death that Jesus died in order that we may be raised again to life in the resurrection of Jesus. And we can know this resurrection both now and forevermore. We can live this resurrection life now and forevermore. There is hope now. You know, so often as Christians, we say we're just hanging on. Hanging on till we, you know, we get to heaven. And I'm here to tell you that heaven has entered earth. There is a hope in our hearts. There is a freedom and a life. We have been set free now. It doesn't mean that we, we don't struggle, we don't go through pain, but we have a hope on the other side. Yes, we do see healing, but we have a greater hope. And there is hope when we know that all things will be made right when everything will be restored, when everything will be healed, that gives us a new perspective. It means that the things that we walk through now, the physical ailments and diseases, the emotional and mental brokenness, the relational disappointment, whatever it is, we can walk through now because we know that one day all things will be made new. We can walk this life with a new hope, with a new assurance. Let's walk the resurrection life now. And then we hold on to the hope for eternity. There is an eternal future. We do look forward to heaven. And heaven, not in a metaphorical sense, not in a, you know, the clouds and, the, and the, the wings and the harp where we will sing, you know, Hillsong worship songs forever and a day. Let me tell you, that is not heaven. As much as I like angel wings. It's material. It's real. You want to get a picture of heaven? 
Look at the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus who came back and was able to walk through walls, who was able to disappear. As C.S. Lewis says, that is more real than what we experience now. The Jesus who could eat fish. Sorry for all you vegetarians out there. Who could actually hug and hold. There is something even more material about heaven. And that is what we get to look forward to forever. I trust that fills your heart with hope. So let me come back as I land. Let me come back to the question that Jesus asked, the claim that he makes, the promises that we've looked at, the question that he asks. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus makes an exclusive claim. I am God. You will find life over death in my resurrection in me. Jesus makes an exclusive claim. Secondly, he makes a profound, exciting promise. If you believe in me, you will live even though you die. You will never die. What a great promise. Come on, that's a great promise. But how do we get hold of that promise? Well, the stipulation, and Jesus asks the questions, do you believe? See, it's all by faith. It's by faith that you are saved. And Jesus invites every one of us. He doesn't just ask Martha. He asks all of us today as we stand here, as we sit here on this Easter Sunday, the death and resurrection of Jesus asks us a question. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with Jesus? He's offering you life. The invitation is to surrender, to let go, and to say Jesus is Lord and say, I believe. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe? Do you believe? Maybe you're here and you've been coming to church a long time, but you've been in a wrestle of going, who is Lord of my life? I want to say to you today that Jesus is inviting you again to place your faith in him, to make him Lord of your life. Maybe you're visiting with family and friends today and you've been avoiding church and maybe it's been a long time. The invitation for you today, as it was for Martha, is do you believe? Are you going to put your faith and trust in Jesus? Today is the day to secure resurrection life both now and forevermore. To find a deeper sense of life, meaning, purpose and joy. I'd love to invite you to to make that response, to say yes to Jesus and say, I believe, I receive your forgiveness, your grace, your life and your freedom. Here's what I'd love us to do. I'm going to invite you in a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here today and you, you know, and even, even in your heart right now, you know, this is my response. I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of essentially praying that prayer, saying, God, I'm making you Lord of my life. And then we're going to connect with you afterwards. We'd love to say hi. So why don't we do it just across this room right now. With every head bow, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, I reckon there's two invitations for the first time. You've never, you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. I'm going to invite you to stick your hand up. Or if you have you have been running from God and this is a prodigal son moment for you and you're returning 
and you know that you've run from God and you're returning back and saying, God, I'm coming back to you today, this Easter Sunday. I'm going to just invite you to do a simple thing of just raising your hand high in the sky, if that's you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just raise your hand high in the sky. Love to celebrate with you today. Awesome. Is there anyone else? You know you need the the life of God, the resurrection power in your heart. Come on, just stick it high in the sky. This is a moment. Anyone else? Thank you for that person who put their hand up. That's so cool. Listen, I'd love to lead a prayer right now. For us all, if you are a follower of Jesus, say you can pray this prayer. Pray it with the, um, those who stuck their hand up this morning. A prayer of repentance and faith in the risen Lord Jesus. We just pray this out loud above a whisper if you're willing. After me, let's pray this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for my sin. I realise I've walked from you. I have been Lord of my life. Forgive me. And I place my faith in you. Today I make you Lord of my life. Come and forgive me. Come and wash me. Come and fill me. I receive your resurrection power. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't we just celebrate with, uh, with those who prayed that for the first time today. The resurrection power. Hey, why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? I want to get the band to come. And before we worship, we're going to sing a song, Hymn of Heaven, which takes hold of the hope that we have as we're reminded of this day, but also looks ahead to what is in store for us. I'd love to pray for some people here today where you just, you believe, you're, you're a Christian, you're a person of faith here today, but you want to walk in res- more resurrection power. You're actually, you're actually just finding it hard that the Christian life right now is, is hard and, and maybe you're walking through a season of suffering right now or maybe you're walking through a season of questions, which is absolutely right and fine. I'd love to pray for you right now. Can you just stick your hand up? I'm going to pray a universal prayer. I'm not going to get you to do anything, but just you would love more, more power, resurrection power in your life uh, today. Come on, just stick your hand up high in the sky. Regular there's a stack. Come on. Stick it high in the sky. More power. Just for those who've got their hands up, if, if, if they're in front of you, just lay a hand on them right now. And I want to pray for them. I want to pray for all of us that today we will be filled with a new confidence in who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Oh God, we worship You. We thank You today. God, this is not just some some kind of metaphorical idea, but it's real. It's material. God, that You have revealed Yourself to us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And as a result, the whole world has been changed for your glory.
And God, I pray that you will use those, those who've got their hands up high in the sky right now, come and fill them afresh. Give them a new confidence. Give them a new strength. Give them a new wisdom. Give them a new power, Lord God, to walk in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Pour out your grace. Pour out your power for all of us, Lord Jesus. Oh God, today, may you fill us. God, we thank you that we have a great hope and may we walk in that hope today, no matter what we walk through. The doubts, the questions, the sufferings, the trials, the joys, the pains. God, may our eyes be on you, the author and the perfecter of a faith. We worship you. We praise you. We love you for all you are. And it's in the mighty, wonderful, risen name of Jesus. And everybody said. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected. 